Welcome to the Losing Faith Podcast. My name is Charnel, and here we're going to be talking about how our humanity collides with our faith and how our emotions can contradict what we believe and all the messy human ironies in between. It's like this huge human emotions, faith, thought, discussion. It's like a big burrito of humanity. (laughs) For churchy folks, it would be like a modern day psalm. So follow us as we go on these journeys where people talk about losing their faith, but also the journey of gaining it as well. Come on. So let's start off things by saying that this is the first episode of the Losing Faith podcast. So yay, congratulations. Yay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm Charnel, and today the two guest hosts are Nay and Ruth. Um, so you both can take a moment and introduce yourselves and then I'll talk about the topic of what we're starting off the podcast with. So you can start, Nay. Hey, my name is Nay. Um, I am just a typical young woman trying to find my way through faith and life. And when I get emotional and sad and still trying to make sure that I have my faith in God and Remember that Jesus loves me. That's about it. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Ruth. Um <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm Ruth. Uh I'm uh twenty-four, uh also trying to find my way through faith and uh trying to build my personal relationship with uh Jesus um after it's been lost. Uh previous times from my end, um, from drifting, uh, and just trying to figure out, you know, um, motherhood and, uh, sobriety through all of it, uh, with Jesus. Yes. Awesome. Both of, um, my friends here are, um, recovering addicts. They've been sober for two plus years, which is awesome. (laughs) Yes, honey. Okay. (laughs) Um, I, I admire them for their, um, courage and their decisions to make, um, choices to change their lives. Um, and you know, the obstacles that they've overcome, you're going to hear some of it as we get into the podcast, um, which is called losing faith because of promiscuity compute. Look, listen, promiscuity. This is so funny. I'm like, I like the word. I have a book called Promiscuous. And then I'm like, promiscuity. That is the word. See? Um, Basically, in layman's terms, we all used to hope. We all used to be in the streets. We all used to be in the streets, honey. (laughs) And it all affected us. Um, Maybe similarly, we'll figure that out. But also um, in different ways. And then how that affected how we interacted with God and our faith and what we believed at the time and then what we know to be true now. So the first question I'm going to start with and any of you two can answer is, why do you think that she became promiscuous in the first place? Um, Ruth, you can start. Um, so I feel like why uh, I decided or like why I became promiscuous in the first place, um, I just feel like from even like a young age, um, probably around like five maybe uh like my innocence had been taken from me and like that kind of like started uh 
started it off for me. Like I became aware of what like sex was at a very young age. Um, do you want me to like, I don't know, like go into like any of no. the detail or. Like- I mean, it's up to you, right? Um, if you, if not, you can throw it to Nay um, or I'll go, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, so I feel like my innocence had been like stolen from me a little bit. Like when I was younger, uh, I had a, a family friend, they had foster kids and like they kind of introduced me to like what sex was. Um, not like, I guess like not uh, sexual encounters, but like uh, it wa- almost led there. They were uh, probably eight or nine and like I just knew what it was from that point on um Mm -hmm. so uh you know I feel like sin had creeped in at a very young age for me Mm. and uh so like um where everything used to be light it kind of started turning dark um Mm -hmm. for me and uh before that I had a real close you know relationship with Jesus like I felt like I knew him from the moment I had like consciousness um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of who he was. And then when that set in, it was almost like, why, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a very sad grievance came across to me uh, that I already knew what that was because I also was aware that I probably shouldn't have. Hmm. But yeah. yeah. Wow. That I, I really, it's interesting that you were saying like, you were really conscious mm-hmm. of, um, Jesus when you were young and then you're learning this concept of morality like what's yeah. right, what's wrong but at a such such a young age it's it's basically stolen because mm-hmm. you didn't choose to be exposed to it at that age and right. I think I I relate to that as well because um I was exposed to sexual things all around me I was molested at nine years old by my neighbor um she was a girl and she was about three years older than me. And that is before I even lost my virginity. But I was exposed to like my parents had pornography tapes around. Um, so I start to see things and then I start to feel things and I understand them at a really young age. And then growing up in a household where we don't talk about sex. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't know what to do with these things. And then it's like this perverted version of love. So specifically with my um, biological father, he wasn't, um, he wasn't affectionate. Like he wasn't, he didn't hug me. So there was just like this lack of love. I was, I feel like that I was searching for. And I think maybe it could have been a generational thing. You know, their parents, Mm -hmm. like love is just providing love is like putting a roof over your head, but it's never, a good word of affirmation or uh, a hug. Like those are things that I needed as a little girl Yes, and I didn't get it. So now I'm like striving and looking for a connection with other people. And it just turned out to be in a very highly sexual way Mm -hmm. until um, I lost my virginity. And later on in my twenties, I learned that I I lost my virginity um, through rape. So it was stolen from me. So then it just put me on a course of um, just sleeping and looking for this feeling of love to the void of sex. Yeah. It not coming. Um, Yeah. Go ahead, Nay. What you got to say? I can definitely relate. It's kind of my story too. Um, 
but with me like as I was younger it was like through my cousins um it was the whole cousin thing and mm-hmm. um I liked it so that's why I didn't really I, I couldn't identify with the wrong part of it um because I liked the way it felt um it made me feel good inside and so you know I know that you either become very hypersexual or you don't be become sexual like a lot after you've been touched, molested, or raped. And um, for me, I became hypersexual, um, you know, craving that feeling of just wanting to be touched or to me touching myself because there's just something in me that's like, I want more. Um, yeah. And that really, you know, as I got older, it just never stopped. <laughs> and um I remember you know being and I don't really remember the first time it happened um but I know that then once after once it happened to me I ended up being the person that would start touching people um yeah. as I was younger right so I really struggled with that as I got older like well whoa like am I the molester am I this am I that and as I've gone through my healing um I just learned that it just kind of, it's just a part, kind of a part of the cycle. Um, once it happens to you, you almost end up doing it because you think it's right. And that was where my mind was. And just like Ruth, like I had the consciousness of Jesus and I knew that God loved me at a very young age, but I really didn't start questioning God about it until I got older and it really started affecting me in my relationships with people. And, um, my anger and rage and all that start coming out. And it was because I didn't have that little voice that, that, that little girl voice was stolen and even manipulated to the point of like, Oh, you're okay. It was right. Um, so yeah, it, it, I definitely identify that. That was me. y'all. It's really interesting because like, um, yes, I was, um, molested by my neighbor, but the concept of family, the people who, um, Mm -hmm. raped me, when I was younger and took my virginity were my cousins. Yeah. So it's like the place where you're supposed to find safety yeah, and yeah. the place where like love is supposed to be, it's th- these are the places are the pl- where innocence was stolen. Yeah, And then also like, because for me specifically, not feeling protected, I actually don't know if I believe that God loved me. I knew that I heard about it, yeah. but I think for a very long time, I didn't feel like I was worthy of it. Yeah, I struggled with it. I didn't understand the concept of unconditional love. I thought mm-hmm. that was a fairy tale. I thought it is because I compared it to my human relationships. Right. And I looked around me and I'm like, nobody loves anybody unconditionally. Mm-hmm. It's only until you do something bad enough. And then it's not going to like the love is not going to be there anymore. And that is how my thoughts of God materialize and because I was raped I and I felt like I couldn't other people didn't protect me I automatically came into this independent thought where like well I have to protect myself then mm-hmm. yes like this God is not going to protect me um you know from people stealing from me also I felt empowered like if I chose sex instead of people just taking from me I still got raped over the years actually like multiple times but when I did go and I did it myself and like, or I pursued a man or a guy, then I felt empowered. Cause like, well, at least I'm in control now. Yeah. Well, at least, yes. you know, it's not, you're not taking from me. Right. Right. 
and I, for me, for me too, like, I really think that, like, as I got older, I would find myself in these situations where, like, I really didn't want to do it. Like, I don't really want to do this. Mm-hmm. But, A, I knew it felt good, so I went ahead and did it, right? And um, I always questioned myself, like, why did I do that? Like, I didn't want to do that for real. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to go back to that, like, when I was little, I didn't really want to do it, but I did it. And so then I dealt with the guilt and the shame of it feeling good. And, like, you knew this was wrong, so why did you let it happen? You didn't tell nobody. And um, that really, I feel like, haunted me for a while, just the the part of it feeling good. I was the one that was like, well, it felt good. I'm cool with it. Um, but learning that it was wrong. And, you know, in the Black community and even the white, like, with everybody, it's like that family dynamic of kissing cousins or all that, like that's real. And mm-hmm. I think that we punish ourselves for quote unquote experimenting, right? Because then then we take it back to experimenting. And I'm just like, well, I experimented and it ruined my life. That's how I feel like, right? Like <laughs> I had all these consequences of sleeping with this guy or that guy or whatever. And sometimes just not wanting to. But couldn't run away from the feeling of it felt good. Yeah, Ruth, do you have anything to add? Um, I can relate to that, uh, like doing it when you don't want to. I feel like it was like a a false empowerment for me. Mm, yeah. um, like I would almost like gaslight myself, like yeah. to make sure I was okay with it in, in like a survival mode. Like mm, I, yeah. uh had shared with someone uh a few weeks ago um one second let me get my thoughts together uh I shared with someone like I would put myself through these bad situations to make Mm -hmm. myself strong because I knew that like you know we're in the world and the world's full filled with sin you know and so like there's no stopping sin because we're in the world right Um, and so like I might as well just make myself tough uh, yeah. and make myself be able to go through these things because I can't stop them. So mm-hmm. if I can just, uh, you know, keep putting myself in these terrible situations and getting past them and, and telling myself I'm okay with that, then uh, then I can get through them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if that makes sense in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I've learned, you know, during my healing journey more and more as I go, with Jesus and like building that personal relationship that I don't deserve that. Like I shouldn't have to put myself in these terrible situations willingly. Like I willingly put myself there because I want to just be able to endure it. So it doesn't take me down when uh, I've learned that like leaning on Jesus, that's who's going to protect me from those things. And I don't have to endure that alone, you know? Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting because I think we all are echoing the issue of feeling like powerless and then trying to get our power back in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. Trying to go back to a place where we feel like there is some sort of control, but I don't think it's just about control. I think it's more about safety and the ability to survive Mm -hmm. the things that we we're experiencing and just the toll that it was taking on us mentally and physically I think for me the reason why I became promiscuous my self-worth is so low that eventually when someone was asking me to have sex I would just like well it's just another body 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another. It's just another one. Like, yeah. what difference does it make? I already lost my virginity, and because I grew up in a very religious um, church cycle, like I, my mom never taught me that my virginity was special, so I just gave it away. Well, I didn't right. give it away. Listen, that's a really that's a skewed. I didn't give it away, which is what they told me when my virginity was taken. So I did a lot of self blaming. <laughs> yeah. Like it was my fault because I was too sexy or it was my fault because I put myself in a place where I, where men did what they did to me. But if I was listening and I was well-behaved, then I wouldn't have been raped. That's basically it. So then there's still this verbiage within me that I gave away my virginity because that's how it was processed within my, um, within my family. And a lot of that's, a lot of that sexual stuff the history of it is also secretive yes yes that part yeah like you have to keep this secret and then also like internally I'm just feeling like I'm dying inside right so then it's just repeated cycles of me trying to escape this this like I don't know like this lack of self-worth and trying to go find it then going through it again and again and again and then also putting myself in dangerous positions so I do mm-hmm. think now that I've healed and I've grown that I did make decisions that did could put me in harm that did put me in harm's way yeah yeah so sure. it's like you know like I'm gonna walk down this dark a- alley I know I can get like I know there's danger down here, but for some reason I'm just gonna I'm walk. gonna make it through. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get through this dark alley and I'm gonna be all right. <laughs> but in the meantime, I feel like I was always trying to search for the love um that God had for me. I got to a point where I remember I was like 13 years old and I and I said a prayer. I was like, God, there's no way that I can stop having sex. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to be in the presence of a guy without yeah. doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to fail you. So there's no point of me trying to serve you. Yeah. Because the the picture of God that I knew was like, he was angry and they kept talking about hell. And, you know, it's like, yeah. I could like, you know, sleep away my salvation. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Not sleep away my salvation. <laughs> Heard. Right? Yeah. Like. If yes. Jesus comes tomorrow and you laying up on a man's bed, <laughs> I'm headed to hell. Going to heaven. Headed to hell. <laughs> headed. I uh, I relate to that though. Like I remember saying prayers at a very young age, like because because I remembered an image, like the the image that was taught of God, you know, was um like burning in hell and. It in that like it was dark and scary and uh and I would pray and be like can you please take me now because I'll never make it through like if I'm already thinking this at this age like I can only imagine what it's going to be like later down the road because it's just like more and more is going to be piled on top you know mm-hmm. I'll never make it out of this like I can never be worthy of your grace like mm-hmm. it was heavy yeah, and I think that, like, these huge moments of um, just, that's truly, like, what I mean, like, losing our faith. Like, the yeah. real, like, not understanding. I think a lot of us were taught a false version of who are, we believe Jesus is now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think that played a huge role in it because when you follow very religious teachings, it's almost, 
it's just impossible standards that mm-hmm. can be so discouraging. You know, just like little kids, it's like you never give them a break. You never say good job. It's right. like breaking your back. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like you said, the, the teaching, right? Like just con- condemning over and over and over mm-hmm. again, like, and not giving any room for like, okay, I didn't have sex today for, I didn't have sex with three guys in one day. I just had sex with one, right? Like the little bitty, the little bitty um, celebrations that we have yeah. to have, well, that I had to have, start having within myself because like I would, I found myself in situations that I was like, I should not be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyways. But yeah. then come back with like, no matter what Jesus loves me, he doesn't, it's not a matter of, okay, so you had sex for five days. Jesus does not love you today. He might love you tomorrow if you have sex with one guy, right? It's no, Jesus loves me no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that my sin, that's why he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross like conting- con- contingently, right? It was forever. Like his grace is sufficient, like no condemnation through Christ Jesus, right? And that, like, when I, when that finally clicked for me, I was, that's what empowered me finally, like true empowerment. It was like, there was a shift within me of like, oh, that's, that's, that's the real Jesus. Well, the real Jesus, please stand up. Right. (laughs) And, um, it just made it, it made my journey easier, you know, and because I was at a point where I was losing faith, like I'm never going to stop having sex. I'm never going to stop watching porn. I'm never going to be able to get over this feeling. And then I met somebody who loved Jesus just as much as I did do. And she told me, like, girl, we're going to celebrate the little bitty wins, right? And Charnel did that for me. And I'm yeah. so grateful because it, then it, like, my faith finally started making sense. Um, yeah, it was, man, Jesus is dope, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, I also relate to that just because uh, the best thing that I'd heard is like, I'm human, right. you know, and uh, I'm allowed to be human. Yeah. Like I don't have to be perfect and I'm still loved. And like when that actually settled in as well, yeah. uh, it was, it was very empowering because I can still mess up a thousand times and he's mm-hmm. still going to be standing there for me, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. in the midst of it. Like I could be in the middle of it. And he's still there, like, I love you. And, like, I didn't know that. I really thought that was made up. When people yeah. would tell me that, I was like, how? Because, you know, I my family still, like, they at, still at some point something's got to give and, you, mm-hmm. and you're going to leave me. At right. some point I'm going to mess up so bad you're done. But, like, he doesn't. And, like, mm-hmm. when I realized that, like, it's okay for me to, you know, have my human moments as long as right. I make my way back to him because he don't ever leave. It's me who drifts. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so good. Like, you know, because uh, just for the, just for listeners, cause I know when we start to talk about being promiscuous, like people can be really judgy. They're like, well, you just made this choice. You could have just made a choice to stop. Like, can we talk about like the fact that we wanted to stop? Right. <laughs> Like, y'all think that I wanted to keep laying down and, like, be okay with it because I wasn't. (laughs) Right. Like, I think there's an aspect of addiction that's connected to um, being promiscuous that people don't always want to acknowledge, especially sometimes people from the church world. They'll be like, well, it's just a choice, right? Yeah. I'm just like, but if we could just get up and just change all of our behaviors, and that is what I would call striving. 
mm-hmm. right? Yes. So now we are like striving to change ourselves and then we're not necessarily giving room to God. And I'm like, it's really hard to give room to Jesus when you don't feel like he doesn't like you mm-hmm. or you feel like he hates you or you feel like he's so far from you. Like, I think that was my thing. It's like, you know, people say rely on Jesus, but I didn't feel like this Jesus could love me. Right. I didn't even understand salvation until I was like 25 years old because I was taught that you had to not only believe in Jesus, but then you had to get baptized and then you had to live perfect. And then, and then. Yeah. 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 And then like that, that got real tiring. You know, I could keep it up, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't keep up an image that like wasn't real for me. Yeah. Um, So like I would always drift back off because I would be like, I've done all this and I still, you know, can't be perfect. Um, and so therefore you hate me. And uh, it just wasn't real. You know, and like, I think it's really important for people to hear like the epiphany moments that it wasn't the behavior for me. I had a really eye opening moment when I got pregnant with my firstborn and I remember like feeling like I was failing and like finally I'm at this place where someone told me when I was growing up that when you get pregnant your destiny that God has for you gets downgraded from A to like plan F or plan Z or like you just get a downgraded destiny for your life and I remember getting a pregnancy test and I I, I wasn't like denial I was just I was in denial I was pregnant so I didn't find out until I was like three months Mm-hmm. And, you know because I was like my period's gonna come it's gonna come um <laughs> it did not <laughs> was nowhere to be found and I remember like just praying and then feeling like um Jesus just said to me like this is still plan a yeah. and for the first yeah. time I felt like wow like you still love me there's still a purpose on my life like after I slept with all these people you know after I've done all these things like you know that you you are still saying like there's still a plan a purpose like for me yes that that was a pivotal Mm -hmm. moment for me um my firstborn his name is Ezra and you know in the book of Ezra it's like they were relaying the foundations of the temple that was destroyed Mm -hmm. and I always felt like Ezra was me relaying the foundations of God's love for me because I did not understand it in a religious sense but when I sinned like I guess you know as much as I could sin and then Jesus was still whispering to my heart I still love you yeah 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 you know that was a really that was a breakthrough moment with me and, you know, it's been a journey, I think, that because I had to unlearn my unre- my religious thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That took yeah. me years. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, shoot, some days I still might slip up. I'm like, okay, that's, that's religion, eh? That is not relationship, yeah. you know? And I can so relate to that, like, having that first kid. And that was the same thing with me, right? Because... It my situation led me to not knowing who my son's father was, right? His name's Josiah, and his name means healing. And it's funny you said, you know, that God's plans for us are good and a good hope and a good future, because that was Jeremiah 29 11, the scripture God gave me. Like, I seen that scripture everywhere I went up until, like, 
I got done pushing him out. And like you said, it was just that constant reminder that like, I know you don't want to do this because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have him. I was scared. Didn't know who his dad was. Between two friends, like all of the chaos and the mess that happened. And I'm like, once again, in this dark cloud of guilt, shame, and remorse. But God is like, you still have a good future. You still have a plan, right? And I'm like, well, God, how, right? And when, and I didn't even like the name Josiah, but like that era of my life brought me so much healing. Yes. That I can't even like describe. Like I was still doing stuff, but the healing of understanding that God loves me no matter what, that Jesus is right here. Like Jesus was in my sin with me, and Jesus is in my sin when I'm not in it, you know what I mean? Like he's always there and I, I I have to be reminded to, to make sure that I find him in it. And I feel like that's what he did when I had Josiah. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's kind of like my story too, a little bit, you know, Um, I got pregnant, uh, you know, my baby's almost, um, well, she's, she's six weeks. So I got (laughs) pregnant and, uh, I just remember right before I got pregnant, uh, maybe five months before I got pregnant, uh, when I first got clean, you know, um, I was real big into God, you know, I was praying, you know, all day, constantly, like a very conscious contact with God at all times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just remember everything falling apart and like, uh, the word, like people would be like, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. And they would you know, I've, I've dealt with the uh, mental health issues. And so like people would throw that like, yeah, you're, you're just having an episode, whatever. So like, I was like, God, like, I'm trying to like, speak with you. And I'm trying to show what you're doing in my life. But people would call me crazy. So I remember right. shutting God off completely before mm-hmm. I got pregnant. And I just was like, I don't want to talk no more. Like, that's basically our conversation. Like, I don't want to talk no more. Stop stop trying to contact me you know mm-hmm. and uh, it got real dark and so in the midst of that I had, <laughs> real dark. I had uh, three potentials uh as uh baby daddies for my baby and um I just remember being so angry and uh having once I got pregnant having this big spiritual experience with Jesus um because he was like even after all of that you know you thought you were in control and after all of that like I am still here and I cannot yeah. care you know lay it at my feet uh mm-hmm. kind of situation all I need you to do is say yes I know you don't know what this is going to look at look like but just it with blind faith say yes because Come uh, on. you are still chosen you know yes. you are still one of my children no matter what and uh that that opened my eyes a lot Mm -hmm. Um, and like even his children coming to get me in the midst of it because I still wasn't ready but I knew something had to change because you know my daughter deserves to know who Jesus is and and I'm her God here so you know I have to get right I feel like um in that and uh and so like it was just cool to see his children come and round me up and be like hey we're going to do this together. And that's yeah. like the love of Jesus is like, he's like, no matter what, you're not alone. And I don't care what you've done. Mm-hmm. We can make something beautiful out of a mess. And um, will so. beauty for ashes. I, beauty. I, I think that that is, you know, I think the thing that I was thinking about is one of the things that, um, as I'm listening to you guys is that for me, when I stopped, Um, the promiscuous like the action what first came was that I stopped trying to serve God out of fear Mm 
and then move them to a position of love because when I was afraid eventually the fear runs out and you're just like forget it like forget it like I'm not this is impossible like it's it it never worked for me I think I always I think that's what I start to tell people I'm just like if you want to change or you want to change through your relationship with Christ it is not going to happen because you are just afraid of him and therefore you're trying to just do some like some serious behavior modification right Um, because when you get into relationship with God he really does do something to your heart yeah and you know when I started to heal in places of my heart then it became easier for me to reject um circumstances or like situations where I was just sleeping around because he started to work on my self-worth yes Mm -hmm. It yeah. almost like be, it just becomes natural mm-hmm. uh, when he's in your heart. Like it, uh, I don't. It just flows. Like you want to do better. Like you want mm-hmm. to feel good about yourself. And it's not like for an image. It's like I generally want to be well in my soul. Right. Yeah. 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 Like I, I love to tell people about what my like why. We thought sometimes we think sin is to hold us back, you know, and we can see like, oh, you know, when it says don't do this in the Bible, people can take that concept and be like, oh, you're just trying to stop me from living my life. But majority of the commandments or whatever is in the Bible to say not to do, I would say guidelines. That's what I like to use. I, I like to use the verbiage of guidelines so that your soul will be well. Yeah. yeah. Because if you interact and do these things. So, for instance, like if you steal from your neighbor you are now causing someone else's soul to be unwell mm-hmm. because now they're suffering a loss. Yeah. Or, you know, if you do certain things, like for specifically sex, it talks about like sinning against yourself. It is one of the things that can make your soul so sick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so sick. So weary, so heavy. When you are like constantly interacting with people, especially because um, I don't know if this is the same case with you guys, but I struggle to be in committed relationships. Yeah. And I wanted it so badly. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, there's a one side. It's like, okay, yeah, you're out here and you you in these streets. But then there was like no actual commitment relationships where I was loved well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like empty promises, like these Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if anyone wants to elaborate about like just the lack of commitment or like even if we did get into commitment, like even maybe self-sabotaging relationships, like, like talking about that and then how that even related to our self-worth and God and if that anyone was, has a comment, go ahead. That was probably my thing. Like I would have like these quote unquote committed relationships, right? Like my first major, like I lied. My first major relationship, I would say, like, back in high school, like, I found myself, like, not attracted to them because, like, I wanted to do what I wanted to do, right? Because I was in this control power thing. And then as I got older, my next relationship, when I did, like, kind of want to settle down and be committed, he didn't want to commit to me. And um, then I found myself in a committed relationship with his friend. And that was probably like the first committed real relationship that I can say that I was in and aware of what I was doing. But then it became very, very, very toxic. Right. Um, And I just found myself. But like 
we had sex to the end of the world, right? Like once again, that that sex factor was in there. And I think that's what drove our relationship mm-hmm. the way it did, right? Like it wasn't really love, it was lust. And that's what I got caught up in. So I get caught up in this lust triangle with these two guys and then the baby comes and now I'm screaming, I really want to be committed because now I want a family. Like I don't want to raise my kid by myself. Um, But I had to go back to like the foundation, right? The foundation on neither one of the relationships was built on Christ, was built on love, was built on selflessness, was built on, um, you know, all the things that love is. It's not proud. It's not boastful. Like it's none of those things, but all of that, committal relationship was and it hurt um because all I wanted was to be loved and valued and you know I come from a two-parent household so my mind was like I'm gonna raise a baby by myself how (laughs) right like that was so scary just like you were talking about Charnel like the fear thing like came in like you can't do this by yourself so I stayed around right trying to make make this guy love me love me love me love me Josiah's dad love me and you didn't didn't have the capacity I really didn't have the capacity either and mm-hmm. um once I re- like and it took me a long time to realize that like because I had my soul was damaged right like you said mm-hmm. like from laying down with all these different men women all that type of stuff my soul was so weary I didn't even have the space to really love well right mm-hmm. and that's when I really start to understand, like, I always want to say, oh, he don't got the capacity to love me. He don't know how to love me. No, I didn't know how to love myself. So I would never be allowed. I couldn't have somebody love me or give them the love either. Right. Because my soul wasn't well. Right. It's like in that internal. I mean, gosh, my soul, when, when your soul is weary, it just messes everything up and you don't think about it. Um. So that's, yeah, that's. That's so weary soul, honey. Mess you up. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my issue as well. I think for me, um, that first of all, my worth was so low that like you it's like you pick anything. It's like, yeah. well, as long as you say that you're gonna commit to me, I will tolerate, I will take anything that comes because I'm just so desperate. Like right. desperate. My soul, it's like a whole in my heart and it's like I want it to be filled by a person or from a relationship but then also like I was also so closed off because I was so hurt by so many people like it's like a self-sabotage thing at the same yeah. time yeah because I didn't have the capacity to even love anyone either because mm-hmm. I was so afraid of being hurt that the same thing I desired I never let in and I never let out so yes. then we were just in this spiral of like looking for love in all the wrong places and then also like getting used to our like me I got used to my toxic traits they became normal yes (laughs) yes it became normal to be like really toxic very controlling manipulative and like I had to unlearn that by one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that love doesn't take away choice yeah yeah like anytime, I mean, now I've grown so much in my relationships that I I focus on not trying to control anyone around me, right? And give people like the opportunity because I want to love them well. And if I love you well, then I'm going to give you a choice. But back then, 
in my 20s or in my when I was a teenager like I learned to take that's yes. what Ring taught me like yeah. it says you take what you want mm-hmm. right you don't you control the circumstance like it's all about control but none of that's actually love yeah not really and yeah. I think one thing that God didn't do was take away my ability to choose him mm, yeah that's that's good <laughs> yeah so that's uh, good <laughs> Ruth did you have something to add hit me. Mm. um I, I, something that like came up like sparked when uh nay was speaking was kind of um i don't know like uh with her the baby daddy situation you know yeah um, about like one trying to make them love you you know because you want a family and stuff like mm-hmm. that but like realizing that it wasn't built off love and it wasn't built uh, mm-hmm. uh, surrounded with God, um, mine was fully lust. You know, my yeah. Um, the person that I believed was my baby daddy. Um, we had been sleeping together for two months, but he was cheating on his fiance. Like it was built on lust. Mm-hmm. And uh, and someone the other day told me, and it smacked me in the face. They were like, lust. Uh, why it didn't work and why it's not going to work is because lust turns into hate mm. whether you want it to or not um, so like because uh both of us knew it wasn't making our souls well you know mm. um, and we hated that we couldn't stop in the midst yeah. of sin because you know uh so I didn't lose my virginity until I was 17. My dad had passed away from suicide and that's a rocky situation and like a conversation from a, for a different time. But, yeah. We'll talk about um, it a different day. <laughs> you know, yeah. Big daddy issues. So I was a big tease in my younger years, like in high yes, school and girl. stuff, a huge tease. So like everybody thought that I was giving it up, but like I really mm-hmm. wasn't, but I could play the part, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember finally, you know, my dad passing away and I was dating this guy and he was, um, he was like 21 and he had, you know, had multiple partners in his life. Like he was very experienced and I had never had sex. And it's like almost like they could sense, you know, um, that like I was vulnerable mm-hmm. and like I needed something to, you know, change the way I felt. And I was already an addict, but didn't know I was an addict truly. Um, mm-hmm. So when I had sex for the first time, I was like, oh, whoa, you know, I can stop thinking for a little bit. Um, yeah, like a pay- yeah, yeah, and so like then that turned into like a sex addiction, and like many many times I didn't want to do it, but I was like validation, validation, mm-hmm. you know, um, and like that was good for the moment, like uh, just just a little bit of validation, as long as like if I can make you love me, you know, yeah. I I have succeeded. Mm-hmm. and every relationship I've pretty much had I've had one solid it was a good relationship and I ended up like messing it up with insecurities but um everyone that I've normally had they push they like resist it and like it makes me want it even more because it's like almost like winning something mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. winning your love winning I'm good enough if you love me and if you don't I'm not good at all 
And that's where I had to have Jesus in it because I had to find, I had to find his love because, uh, you know, people will fail you every time. And I had to learn that, uh, they'll just fail you and he don't. So that was a, I don't know. I kind of went down a rabbit hole probably, but. No, I think that's actually good because I feel like that's a good landing place for where we're going because I think ultimately, that was the same lesson that I had to learn too. Like, no matter what, like I have amazing people around me. I have amazing friendships now, but even so, and that there's something that only God's love. Yeah. yeah. It's unlimited. Like, that's my thing. Sometimes I think about like, if I'm drinking and I'm constantly thirsty. So like, we are constantly needing connection. And sometimes like we have, when we're in relationships in friendships, we'll have moments where it's like, oh yeah, that quenches our thirst. Like when you drink lemonade, mm-hmm. but then you're going to get thirsty again. And the, will the thing about Jesus mm-hmm. is that like, he's just the unlimited supply of love. Yeah. And that has been so helpful to me because no matter what, when those thoughts want to come in, like you're unlovable because you know, that rejection comes or, mm-hmm. you know, you're not good enough. It like the fallback on the foundation of the unlimited love of Christ really. I mean, I don't know, like in layman, it just helps. It helps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, because-, because once you get there, you're like, you don't want to start getting suicidal because you're like, you feel worthless. I feel like the <laughs> world and people around you are constantly coming at you, trying to t- diminish you. And then there's like this constant flow of Jesus giving the message like no you're loved no matter what you went through you're loved and even though people will say because we were promiscuous we don't deserve like i mean you know how people talk about hoes like they're like you were a hoe you did this like and they'll just i mean they act like you were not worth anything because of that behavior (laughs) and especially as women right because men men can be hoes right Mm -hmm. it's a thing it's a thing for a man to be a hoe, like, oh, girl, you know what I mean? But then when women are, and then we, when women own the fact that they were a hoe and can talk about it, right? It's like, like, I'll be, I'll be damned. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's the double standard of it, right? And that was probably one hard thing for me. Like, I was like the undercover hoe. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I was doing stuff, right? But it just, I don't know, man. It's its crazy how Jesus truly, like, like you were saying, right? I can do all these things and have all this love and people around me and still be hanging on by a piece of dental floss. But in the back of my mind, Jesus is like, but I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Like, you're okay. And that's what I have to cling on to. And it's just really helped me. In some of the darkest times, right? Like now I'm I'm celibate. I haven't had sex for five months. And it's been the hardest thing I've ever done almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. Because like my normal is like, okay, I don't feel good. I'm lonely. I want company. Somebody come to my bed, but then I have to play the tape out, right? Yes. I learned that in recovery. Like, okay, so you can come over, lay in the bed, we're gonna cuddle, we might have sex, and but you're still not gonna commit to me. So now I go back to, well, so am I not worthy enough to be committed to? Am I not lovable? Am I not enjoyable? But, like, I'm good enough for you to be my friend. I'm good enough for you to come lay in my bed. Like, I have to raise my standards. And that's what I'm learning right now. Like, the standard has to be high because I'm worth it. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm Jesus's, I'm Jesus's bro dog. 
I'm God's daughter and I'm royalty. So like, I don't get, I don't have to be treated any way today and settle. Cause that's what I've done for so long. Just settle. And mm -hmm. that's what I've learned in these past five hard months, but it's been worth it. Like I've, it's it's been to the point now I'm looking at guys like mm -mm, you are not even mm -mm, you, no you mm -mm. because I've I'm starting to be okay alone yeah. and that was my biggest thing like being alone was like like I don't want to be I'm scared fear 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 um but I'm okay with being alone today and I never thought I would have said that but that's because yeah. I started working on like girl that soul thing honey that's real. Oh, that's real. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Okay, good. Because I was like, all right, so we're gonna end this episode because our next episode is actually gonna be talking about losing faith in relationships. Yeah. And so I feel like we're in a good spot to move forward and go into that um in our next podcast episode. So thank you, Nay. Thank you, Ruth. Welcome. Um, I'm excited Welcome. for y'all to come back. I think there's amazing nuggets in this. Um so Come on, y'all, for part two, and we'll talk soon. Yes. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at channel underscore made new. Also, if you would like to purchase my book, Promiscuous Tales of a Church Girl, you could do that at www.payhip.com slash Charnel Taylor. C-H-A-R-N-E-L-L-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye.